You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Today, <laughs> we're doing a series through Luke right now. We're not really going through all Luke because we've preached through all four Gospels at this point. But there's a bunch of stories in Luke when I first preached on Luke, when I was first a pastor, that I missed. And I'm rereading through Luke right now. I'm like, oh man, these are crazy. And actually, one of the big reasons I even want to preach through Luke is because of the passage that we're getting in today. I was like, oh, this is confusing. I don't get this. I love confusing stuff. I can't wait to study and preach on this and be like, bam, yeah, we figured it out. I haven't figured it out yet. So... I'm going to ask you to help me. In my opinion, this is the most confusing passage, or at least the most confusing parable that Jesus ever told. (laughs) And there's some confusing ones, but this one's confusing. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read it to you. You're going to want some Bibles out, because in a moment you're going to want to discuss. If you have a family here, remember we're keeping social distancing into mind. So if you want to, if you came alone and you want to just read alone, that's fine. But if somebody's within social distancing discussion, feel free to discuss with them. I'm going to read it, then we're going to take a few minutes. You're going to talk about it, and then I'm going to do that awkward thing where I say, What did you learn? and none of you answer. All right, we all ready? Luke 16. All right, here we go. Brace yourselves. We're getting into some weird territory. First, you're going to be like, whoa, Jamin, how do you not get this? Then you're going to be like, whoa, I don't get this. All right, here we go. Unless you get it, in which case, I can't wait to hear your answer. <clears throat> 16 yep. He also said to the disciples, there's a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people will receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in very much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful to the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? 
No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one, love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. All right. Tyler is going to throw on some background music in either your socially distanced group or your family group. Go ahead, chat about it. If you prefer to work alone and get back to us, you can do that too. Take five-ish minutes, figure out what the answer is, and then tell me what it is. Thank you. All right, so just to summarize what happens in this passage, again, before we all talk about it. A manager has a, sorry, a, man, a, a master, thank you. Master has a manager working for him. The manager takes care of the bills. Manager has done a bad job taking care of the bills. Master finds out, he's like, dude, what are you doing? Your job is over. And he's like, well, I can't go out and dig. I'm not strong enough for that. And I, I don't, I'm too proud to go on the streets and beg for money. So what am I going to do? And so he decides to go find people that owe his master money. And he says, okay, cut your bill in half or bring it down 20%. Let's make your bill cheaper. And then they, they seem to get cheaper bills. And then the master comes home and you think he's going to be mad. But instead, Jesus is like, he's like, ah, I commend you. I praise you for your shrewdness. You're like, okay. <laughs> and then just to make things even more confusing, Jesus goes on to say, and I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. All right. I spent a lot of time trying to figure this out. Let's hear what you came up with. What's going on in this passage? What is the takeaway? What is the story trying to say? Anybody? Tyler's got a hand raised. Tyler and I discussed this for about an hour from 11 to midnight while playing a board game, and we lost because we weren't paying attention. Thank you very much. good at multitasking. Tyler, did you win because you're being dishonest and shrewd? Was it your unfaithful wealth that caused you? You did, I commend you. I'm not sure that's the takeaway. Hang on, let's slow down. Talking about the master, in my opinion, about his his willingness to be upfront about not caring about that, that like every penny, right? And not not being shrewd with your money from the master's perspective, not from the manager's perspective. The manager was going out and doing something with the money that wasn't coming in anyway. These people owed him money. This was a, a manager of his money was supposed to be figuring out how to spend it back in those days, from what I can about, how to collect and spend. However, you couldn't always collect back in those days because they hated people who came and took money from you. So he actually got money from these people, which is more commendable than doing nothing with it and taking yourself to the pit um, in despair and thinking, oh, it's all over. It's better to do something with that unrighteous money, the money that isn't yours and you shouldn't be able to pay the loss for it. Instead, you turn it into something else and you, you at least use it for something good. All right, so Tyler's interpretation is at least he's getting money in some way. Is that... Then the master is commended from Jesus' perspective, saying, look to be someone who doesn't serve the masters. He's not serving God and money. Instead, he pushes away money to serve God. He's okay with losing money. It's like the scene in Les Mis where the, the pastor and the priest is like, oh, no, he didn't steal from me. I gave him. These are gifts. These, these candelabras are gifts from from the church. 
and he gives them more. So he left before I could give him more. Okay. In the same kind of a sense. Yeah, so that you're money and you're doing bad. But in this moment, it's not that he's he's like cutting the master short as we do it. It's that he's actually getting the money and doing something with his job in this moment. So in your interpretation, the master is God. The master is no. Like an analogical version of God? No. No? No. The master is a servant of God. He is saying this is a person that is doing a good job in the, in the eyes of God. Okay. A good master, as it were. Alright, so there's one interpretation, but that's, that's just another question to throw in there. Who is the master in Jesus' parable? A lot of times they equate to something allegorical, right? Like these seeds that are thrown out. Well, this seed represents those who were eaten up by Satan before they sprouted. This seed represents those who bear fruit. So, who is the master of this interpretation? Is he God? Is he just a guy? It's just a story? Or is it someone else? Is it Satan? <laughs> you know, like, uh, there's questions to ask. Uh, another interpretation or thoughts. Casey? There is a comment from online that's saying we shouldn't waste our money on things that we really don't need. Spend our money for God. Or buy something from the store from Casey. <laughs> Did you make this comment, Casey? No, that legit was Lori put it on that. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, yeah, so spending money wisely. That's a good, t- I mean, we know the takeaway, in many ways, the takeaway is, you know, spend money correctly. The question is what's, what is correct in this particular parable. Yeah, we're back. Yeah, I, I don't know. What else? Kathy? So, I don't know if it's a sheet or not, but with five minutes, I went ahead and went to the translate, uh, the fashion translation. And is it, can I just read it real quick? Just one more. Yeah. Jesus continues. Remember this. The sons of darkness interact more wisely than the sons of light. Use the wealth of this world to demonstrate the friendship of God by winning friends and blessing others. Then, when it runs out, regenerate generosity will provide you with an eternal reward. Yeah, so that's another, I would say, interpretation of sorts. The thing we have to keep in mind with translations is... The, I'm not saying that here, but you have five minutes, so I thought... No, 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 I understand. So I'm reading out of the ESV. I don't care what translation you use. Part of the reason I use the ESV is because it tries to translate literally, which then forces me to say, this doesn't make sense. How would I interpret it? Some of the much like easier translations are intentionally trying to write down what they think for you. It's like the message, for example. If we were to read the message on this passage, it probably would be a lot clearer because Eugene Peterson's reason behind writing it is to illustrate like the point straight to you. So, yeah, so that would be probably another interpretation thrown. What else? Anything else? Yeah, George. Um, I, I think what it's trying to get you to understand is that you know just like the king forgave the servant in another passage of all of his debt um, and then he went out and did not forgive the next person and was thrown in the prison anyway that God wants you to be a direct link to him so therefore instead of if I owed you a hundred denarii, you'd get fifty denarios according to this passage. But you're getting something because I'm not serving money. I don't care, but I don't have your money. But in God's eyes, 
I'm, I'm serving him because at least I'm trying to pay for that. Yeah, and so some interpretations of this passage are going to be maybe he was like doing some social justice work. That these people who owed these huge debts, like, you know, 100 gallons of whatever, like he's getting out there, he's like, well, if I'm going down anyways, I might as well free these people from bondage. You know, like, hey, mark it down, take it down 50%. But do we know that's what he's doing? No, but that's just another possibility of interpretation, this idea of releasing of debt and forgiveness. Anybody else want to feed into it? The message is much clearer. The message is much clearer? What is... Peterson's assumption. So the last paragraph, master surprise, the master prays for crooked managers. Why? Because he knew how to look after himself. Three white people are smarter and disregard the law of citizens. They are on constant alert looking for angels. Um for looking for angels. Anyway. Oh. <laughs> I cannot remember. Yeah, so he's, again, he's reading into it and then giving us what he thinks Jesus is trying to say in the same breath. And so that would be another possible interpretation. So here's, here's a question for us, and I'll, I'll get ready to wrap up, but a few questions. What do we need to understand this passage better? What would help us? What was that, Caitlin? Holy Spirit, so that's first off. Actually, Jesus talks about the parables that the Holy Spirit is essential to understand them. At one point, he tells the parable of the seeds that fall on the side of the road, and he intentionally has said it in such a way that he expects his audience won't understand it, except unless they have the secret to the kingdom of heaven. In other words, if the Holy Spirit helps them understand it, some people will get it. This is why Jesus uses the phrase all the time, those who have ears, let them hear. Because he suspects, though everybody has ears, not everybody has a spiritual ears to receive the reception of the Holy Spirit to interpret things on the fly. That's why he's so mad at his disciples. He turns to his disciples, and they're like, you got to explain this parable, man. He's like, you didn't understand this? And then Jesus explains the parable. And all of you in this room, if you didn't know the interpretation ahead of time, probably all of you would be like, I didn't understand that either. Like, I didn't get all that. But that's part of Jesus' main ingredient to understanding parables. So Caitlin's right. Any of you who came with the wrong interpretation, you're not listening to the Holy Spirit. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) But like the Holy Spirit is essential, first off, for the spiritual discernment of understanding stories in which Jesus has intentionally spoken in mysterious ways for it to only get through to those who are willing to pursue him enough to, to learn it. Okay, so what's another thing that would help us understand this? Context. 
context. What kind of context? Historical and cultural context. Yes. What is uh, a manager? How do they live in their time? Tyler spent a lot of time trying to dissect it from that route, right? He's saying like, well, is a manager a slave? Okay, if he's a slave, and then what does he do? And, and how, why was he afraid to go dig? Why is he afraid to beg? Uh, why is everything in this passage like, why would the manager be okay with this after he's done this? Because in our culture, we'd be like, dude, you ripped me off. You just went and like, you know, and instead it's like, oh, very shrewd. And shrewd in the Greek, that's, that's morally ambiguous, okay? Shrewd does not mean negative or bad in the Greek. It could be interpreted as wisdom. Ah, very clever, very wise, very shrewd. Uh, Jesus actually even calls us to be shrewd. Anybody remember that passage? It says, be as as wise or as shrewd as snakes, right? Uh, what other kind of context would help us with this? Historical, cultural, what else? Maybe just like, because I started to kind of read further down. Yes, context as to where we're reading. If you were to go back a verse, you would come into conversations about the prodigal son, okay? A lot of times when you're writing a gospel, you are working stories thematically. Does this connect to the prodigal son? Is it a retelling of it in another way? Yes, no, or is it the reverse of the prodigal son? Likewise, if you keep moving forward, it continues on topics of money. Uh, you get into conversations of you've, uh, you Pharisees, all you guys are into money and you're, you're not doing justice. So you come across more topics of money. So this falls into a money topic is what... Is what Jesus continues to say throughout chapter 16 connected to the same stream of thought? Because if so, then part of the reason we wouldn't be understanding it is because he's still saying more and we stop because we put verses into our Bible that didn't used to be there. But also context, not just within a few chapters, but within the whole book of Luke. Luke is bigger than that. And when a gospel writer is writing, He's writing with his own personality. And there are other times in Luke where Luke uses um, immoral people in order to communicate a moral point. Like, about God, nonetheless. There's a passage in Luke where he says, there is a judge and this woman keeps bothering him. When are you going to give me justice? When are you going to fix this? When are you going to give me justice, justice, justice? And finally the judge will be like, all right, fine, I'll do it. And he's like, that's what God's like. And we're like, wait a minute. That's not very nice, you know. Uh, but he's, he's not focused on, like, the, the morality of this judge. He's using it as an analogy. Just as we bug God, when are you going to come back and save us all? So he will eventually come and do so. Just as this woman bugged this judge, when are you going to find justice for me? So he will eventually do so. So, even though this is like in a moral passage, so it seems. There's a possibility that this is just within Luke's way of telling stories because he's done it at least two other times before in his book. Likewise, he's talked about money a lot in his book. There's another passage where he's like, look, uh, some people are going to be building up these big houses, storehouses full of stuff because the crops just came in. And, and, and God's going to turn to you and say, you fool, your soul is required of you this night. What will happen to all your wealth now? And so you see, you already see this idea that you can't serve God and mammon has come up throughout Luke's gospel a few times because he writes in that theme a lot. 
And so we know that whatever this passage is, it's telling that story, right? That we can't serve both God and mammon and that money is not the focus, but the kingdom of God. Which is a great message to preach as our stimulus comes around, right? Yeah. Mammon. What does it sound like I said? What is mammon? It sounded like you said mammon. Oh. <laughs> so mammon is like the, the money, the word for money, more or less. You can't serve God and money, but mammon was also a deity of sorts. Uh, yeah, little g God of like, I'm guessing wealth since we interpreted money. So with that being said, you can't serve both God and this false God. You need to choose either Yahweh or mammon. You don't get to choose both, which is right in line with everything else in the Bible, right? You can't sit at the table with demons and then sit at the table with God as well. You choose God or demons. You get one or the other, not both. Anyways, there's a lot of things that would help us understand this better. And you guys have some great interpretations and some of you have done more homework since we talked about it last night. Just cheating. Uh, But uh, uh, passages like this, when you come across passages like this in your Bible, you need to stop. You need to say, don't just say like, I don't get it. Let's move on to the next greatest hit of Jesus because those ones I do get. Stop and, and just like, I listened to this passage, like I read it and then I reread it and then I reread it and then I had to go pick up the kids from school and I played it on the car radio like three more times and at the end I'm like, I still don't get it. And then I read commentaries for a long time and every commentary said something entirely different, sometimes polar opposites of each other and they all sounded like they could be correct but weren't correct and some were just making stuff up that wasn't there and, 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 and then I fell asleep while I was studying because it was hurting my head so much like... There are some confusing passages in the Bible. And I think this passage is a good example of how we are so far removed from that time that we may never ever have a full answer as to what Jesus meant in this. The people of his time may have heard it and understood it very well. Whereas we disconnected from their culture, disconnected from uh, the idea that he was sharing. We might just be missing the point. But in the end, I think we need to understand like, the eternal dwellings for us are in heaven, right? We're not trying to make eternal dwellings with people out there and just get us out of a bind right now or to win over more sinners through immoral stuff so that we can like live on in sin. Instead, God calls us to put our mind on the real eternal dwellings, to throw money and mammon out the window, unrighteous wealth out the window, and put our focus on God, on Yahweh, on Jesus, on Jesus alone, and keep it there. Okay, with that, thanks for entertaining these thoughts today. Keep thinking about it. Do some study this week. Text me if you figure it out, because I still want to know what the answer is. Otherwise, we will catch you guys next week, if not sooner. Have a great Sunday. Thanks.